Welcome to the Managing Your Multi-Passionate Life Show. Your host, Carol Dixon Carr, is an educator of and a participant in many eclectic subjects, and she loves it that way. Each week, she'll bring you episodes and stories on how you can navigate those multiple passions while managing your mental, spiritual, physical, and emotional energy in your life as a whole. So here's Carol. Well, hello, and welcome to episode two, which is still kind of the who is Carol and what drives her to finally want to birth this podcast episode. And in all the excitement of creating that first show, I forgot to mention that this is the only week where I'll have released more than two episodes because typically it will just be once a week, usually on the same day, once a week, but as a multi-passionate, you just never know. And this is a long time coming. I've I've procrastinated for years on this, especially on the vulnerability part. And it's mostly due to the irrational fears because showing up vulnerably is usually not my jam. I like to show up strong. You know the saying, trek on your strong friends, right? I am the queen of putting on a brave face and showing it for people no matter what I'm going through. And it really took me years to finally put some strong boundaries in place, as recent as three years ago. Better late than never, though, I say. But my lack of boundaries had a lot to do with being both an empath and a person with abandonment issues. And so I would attract other people with abandonment issues, but most of them were more vampires than empaths. So it was very codependent, and I finally just had to say, hey, I have to love you from afar. I wish you well. But anyway, I left off in the first episode, right before my abandonment issues kicked into high gear in 2003. I mentioned that the job I had at the time had this grind culture that I just absolutely hated. My boss had a quote-unquote work-for persona instead of a work-with persona, my personality is more of a work-with persona. She was very highly prone to stress also. So she took it out on her direct reports pretty regularly. So we clashed a lot for that reason. And sheepishly, I admit that her temper reminded me of how I used to be before that come-to-Jesus moment with my friends from the previous job. Yikes. So yeah, you know that saying, you spot it, you got it. Well, there you go. So even though the pay was respectable and the bonuses were really respectable, I just was not happy. I still felt underappreciated, underutilized, overlooked in favor of men who had less experience and less education. And that just really took me on a journey. At the same time, I was dealing with squatters in the first rental property that I bought and I thought I was going to get some help in getting rid of them but I was pretty much on my own I mean all the help that I thought I was going to get just totally dried up and I was a novice at this so I was really struggling and so the people who were supposed to be helping me I guess they were going through their own stuff and I guess they put their boundaries up with me (laughs) so it happens so I took it as a personal affront anyway, even if maybe it wasn't about me. Maybe it really was that they had things that they had going on in their lives and just couldn't help me anymore. So there I was on my own 
paying two mortgages, trying to figure out how to evict these awful people. Oh my gosh. And that's a story for another day about how that all came to be. But anyway, fortunately, these days I'm not miserable. I can definitely get into my feelings about things, absolutely. But I can move out of it way faster than I could back in the early 2000s. And, you know, I had my daughter in 2000 as well. And postpartum depression, say that 10 times fast. Postpartum depression was part of that for sure. And my abandonment filter was so incredibly thick then. And that kept a pretty consistent dark cloud hovering over my head. And so back then I was just, I felt like that was kind of my identity, being prone to anxiety and depression. And I, I honestly didn't know what happiness really looked like. Point blank, I was just lonely. I mentioned, you know, in the last uh, last semester. <laughs> you see where my head is. I have some syllabus. Still have syllabi to create. <laughs> the last episode, I was talking about how I had some challenges fitting in. And so it was hard to connect with people who could get me. I was really lonely. My brain really went haywire during those times. And so when your brain goes haywire, you have these thoughts that are often patently false. And the patently false thought I had was that only my mom and my daughter, the one who birthed me and the one I gave birth to, cared if I lived or died during these days. I mean, I found out later that was so not true. But it really took a universal two-by-four to knock some sense into me. I don't care you're loved. <laughs> People like you. And so I'll talk about that in a bit. So anyway, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do about my woefully unfulfilling career and trying to find people locally I could connect to. And at the time, I was reading a lot of spiritual and motivational and self-help books at the time. Still could not shake that dark cloud. I mean, my heart literally hurt every single day. So, one Wednesday morning, November 11th, 2003 at 8.30 a.m., to be exact, I remember looking at the clock before all this happened. I was listening to Get the Edge, Tony Robbins on cassette. Oh my gosh. I have, I'm looking at my shelf of all these cassettes I have from, you know, the 90s and the 80s even. Oh my gosh. But anyway, I was listening to that on my way to the job where my tiny but temperamental boss also worked. And still having that recurring unproductive thought that only two people cared about me in this world and I was just going westbound on interstate 10 and then all of a sudden this white truck tries to share the left lane with me he just didn't see me he just started veering towards me and I panicked and so I swerved left into the slippery grass median and then according to witnesses because this was a slow motion moment for me I flipped several times going in the right direction, the rightward direction, across three lanes before ultimately hitting a tree in my little Nissan Sentra with no airbag. Everything was in slow motion. I just remember thinking, this is it. And I remember screaming and hollering and it felt like it lasted forever. And in that moment, I was not feeling suicidal. I wanted to live. I absolutely wanted to live. And I 
was just slipping and sliding and spinning. And I know what happened in a moment, apparently just really fast. But, and miraculously, when I hit that tree, I was conscious, even mobile. And I heard someone who turned out to be a fireman say rather surprised, she's alive. I was really disoriented, but I remember saying, I hurt everywhere. So the fireman took my cell phone and was able to contact my husband who was taking Maya, that's my daughter, to preschool at the time. It was terrifying. <laughs> the whole, when I think back to it, it was so long ago, but I still remember it. And I remember going in the ambulance kind of in and out of consciousness. It was surreal because I remember feeling kind of in this blissful place for a bit. It was really odd. It's hard to describe. It's like I was feeling very peaceful for the first time in the ambulance. And I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. And I guess you have to experience, to experience it to know what I'm talking about. So when I finally got there, they put me in that coffin and I'm claustrophobic. I hate it. <laughs> that MRI machine that gave me some goop that made me a little nauseated. But the MRI only saw soft tissue damage, no broken bones, another miracle. Awesome. But that car was completely totaled. And later when my husband went back to the accident site to gather the belongings of whatever was left in the car, the tow truck guy gave him this compassionate expression on his face. He had assumed that I didn't make it. So I guess, and I know I'm paraphrasing, but he told my husband something like, sorry for your loss with a compassionate face. And then Daryl, that's my husband, he said, no, she she made it. And then the tow, the tow truck guy responded with, well, your wife was riding with God. Whew. So given the impact of that horrible crash, apparently I should have died. And so I finally decided, I guess for some reason I am supposed to be here. I got work to do on this physical plane. I do have a lot of work to do. I am not done yet. <laughs> so much to do. And then the emails, you know, texts at that time on flip phones, you really don't get texts. I had a flip, I had a flip phone. So a lot of emails and most of the themes were around, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're okay. Oh, my heart stopped when I heard about your accident, et cetera, et cetera. And even seeing the look in Daryl's eyes at the accident site, I'll never forget it. He was terrified and they were just so filled with love. I'm like, how can I ever doubt that he loved me? My, like I said, my depressed brain and my daddy issue brain just kind of, it just short circuited my brain in a lot of ways. But yeah, in that moment, you know, I just realized, okay, people do care. But when you're depressed, you just tend to sometimes have a really warped sense of what's true about your own reality and in the world. And there's no shame in that. Like they say, it's okay to not be okay sometimes. And I know that term toxic positivity is getting a whole lot of airplay, especially in 2020, but it's not, an, it's not a new concept. So we just need to honor where we are. I'm going to have an episode about that shortly probably in the next couple of weeks. But anyway, because of that responsibility gene, it's still there. It's still there. It's a balancing act because self-care is so important. But yeah, my sense of responsibility, or maybe it was denial, I thought I could just go back to work or even work from home. We didn't really work from home back then. But I even thought maybe I could try and come into work 
It's like, girl, please. <laughs> Think back on that. Girl, you were crazy. But even my boss, the one who's typically temperamental, was very compassionate. She said, no, come back when you're able to. And even then, even then, I was feeling super guilty about that. But I stayed home. I did what they said. And it's interesting because my depression was more severe back in 2003, though. When you think about the things that were going on in my life, I mean, they, they might make you sad, but not get into the deep funk that I was in. And so when I had another bout of, gosh, this is my life, uh, I it was tied to my abandonment issues again in 2009. I think that was worse, and I'll get to that a little bit later. But those series of miracles back then compelled me to follow that urge to start a business that wasn't network marketing, because I'm not very good at it. <laughs> I'm good at taking products. I mean, I've probably bought and become discount customers for quite a few things, but I've never been successful in selling them. But I was going to try this whole consulting and coaching thing. Maybe even be a motivational speaker. I don't know. I just wanted to do something different just so I could feel like I had some kind of purpose on this earth. And I really didn't just want to use my economics degree, which was I, which was what I was doing at the jobs out of graduate school with the exception of selling the vacuums and, you know, being a secretary. So I had this ideal, I mean, so many ideals about building it and they would come. That's hilarious. I know. Yeah. No, we know that you have to put yourself out there and tell people about what you do because otherwise you're just the world's best kept secret. So like I said, I thought I might be a public speaker. So I did some research on public speaking bought courses on how to do it about a month after the accident, actually. I remember buying Randy Gage's speaker kit. And it came in these big packaging. I remember that. <laughs> and then the workbooks that come with it. And yeah, they were a series of CD tapes. And talk about... <laughs> anyway, I don't want to get into the environmental issues of <laughs> the packaging. But anyway, I signed up for business and life coach training in early 2004 and actually hired my first coach then as well. She was such an advocate for me. I will never forget B Fields. She was amazing. And I hope she's doing well. I haven't seen her in a while. I was still at that job with a tiny stressed out boss. And I thought, well, my tiny stressed out boss could use a coach. Actually, our whole entire team could really use some team dynamics coaching, which I was learning about at the time. And I also had gotten trained to administer the Myers-Briggs Temperament Indicator back in August of 2003. Yeah, I went through all that even when I was depressed. I knew I was trying to do something then that I was just going through the motions. But I did get that training then. I'm an ENTJ. Tiny little T, though, <laughs> because that empath dream. I was also fascinated with some of the assessments that Inkscape Publishing had at the time, especially the Coping and Stress Profile and the DISC assessment. Hi, I over here. There's some D leanings as well, if you know anything about that. And I really was, I really loved my assessments back then. I really dug deep and dove deep into all of those assessments back then. And my coach I had at the time told me, you know, Carol, you should pitch doing a team dynamics workshop to your boss for your team. And that was the last thing I wanted to do pitch anything to my boss, I almost would rather eat 
glass. <laughs> but I accepted her invitation. It was frightening, but I did it. And I didn't die. She, you know, she kind of dismissed it. The boss dismissed it. She wasn't interested, but at least I asked. Because you don't get if you don't ask. I didn't get in that case either, but you just never know, right? And the reality was that over the years, the business income, when I started, probably more so in 2005, I was really booking with doing a lot of things in 2005. It was still an ebb and flow cycle for me. In the beginning, I think my coach was the reason why I got a lot of things flowing to me. She knew what I could do. And I did a lot of eclectic things even then on top of coaching. You know, I also was doing voiceover work. I was creating products, doing audio production for other coaches and so on back in the day. And so I'd run the gamut of dry times to having serendipitous moments where these niche markets found me even before I even considered catering to them. And I had this e-course called Managing Your Relationship with Time because I thought I was kind of a ninja in that way. And so that was how I started building my list, that first e-course back when One Shopping Cart was the platform to get your list together. I don't even know if that still exists now. And I also had this interview audio series uh, helping people find out how to manage their relationship with time through the lens of people who are creative and who are artists or even coaches and that kind of thing. And that same year, I had also contributed a chapter to the A Guide to Getting It series. And my chapter, surprise, surprise, was called Embrace Your Renaissance Spirit. So yeah, that was a busy year, 2005. And so that was coupled with the kind of overwhelm that was a nice problem to have. And then I felt pretty good about raising my fees to get it all under control. And I also became more spiritual in a way that I didn't feel was condemning. And it almost felt sort of like spiritual soup. You know, Christianity was kind of the main thing, but then I took some things from Buddhism and so on and so forth, all the good stuff. And I know some people might be looking at me like I've got three heads, but I've accepted that. God is love, however you look at it. And some people don't call it God. Some people call it the universe or the higher self or the Lord. It doesn't matter. And if you're an atheist, you might call it nature. I mean, I really believe you can be spiritual as an atheist because... If you look at nature, how can you not just feel connected to something, you know? There are so many miracles out there, and so much creativity and clarity can spark just from being outdoors in nature. Also, a stress reliever, so get outside. But I dig. I digress again. That's what I tend to do. It's okay, though. I'm coming right back. So, by mid-2009, the universe gave me some clues in abundance that shouted, Give your business a break for a while and find out who you really are. Okay. I was kind of ignoring that for a while. I mean, I was doing productivity coaching too, so <laughs> yeah. But it was a very, ironically, when I said I hated grind culture, a lot of it did not tap into the yin energy, just mostly the yang energy. So that's, this is all retrospective. I didn't see it. I did not see that in the moment. So at the time, um... It was interesting that I had to just stop. That irony was definitely not lost on me because, yeah, all of a sudden I'm not productive anymore. So what were those clues in abundance? Well, you'll have to catch the next episode for that. But here's a clue. I think I might have given you a hint. Remember I said abandonment issues, kind of a big deal for Carol. 
And they showed up in very plentiful and specific ways. So I give that a hearty boo and a hiss on that. But I'll just say this much. Music saved my life back then. And though I'm not currently depressed, perhaps a little high strung. I'm a little high strung because January 2021 has started off in very interesting ways. But I think having faith in something and keeping those self-care practices are very important, even when things aren't going crazy in your life, but especially now. And I do my best not to live in fear and trust the process while being considerate to others. Um, it's never been easy for me to not be a control freak, but 2020 taught me to not be a control freak and roll with the punches more and be less of a control freak, let's just say. <laughs> so take a look at your own current self-care practices. Are, are you mindful of them? Because sometimes it's super easy to forget to adhere to them when things keep changing unexpectedly and sometimes not for the better, often not for the better. So these are just some reminders. You might do any and all of these, but do you journal? Do you meditate? How about exercise? Naps? Superfoods? If you don't do any of those things, absolutely no judgment because, you know, we have to start somewhere. And it's for your own mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health is the main reason why I bring this up. I invite you to consider trying at least one of these practices and get an accountability partner if you need to. If you are a plate spinner like I am and don't want any of those plates to drop, it's especially imperative to do that self-care thing very consciously and intentional. It's super imperative. So to give you an idea of what my last few days have been like, um, I got last. I got asked at the very last minute to participate in a very important Martin Luther King tribute event, and I was just gonna buy a ticket and watch it online uh, because I really didn't know what the social distancing protocols were. So I didn't even bother to audition back in November. But maybe a soprano had dropped out. I don't know. Anyway, when he told me how we were um, rehearsing and that kind of thing and getting the COVID test and all that, I said, all right, sure, count me in. I did not realize I had already missed six rehearsals because, yeah, I didn't, because I probably would have said no, but that's so funny. I, I just got in. I, I mean, so I was late to the party. <laughs> I was so late to the party, but I had to catch up with that. And... The concert was this past uh, Sunday. It was amazing. Oh my gosh. It was so amazing. But yeah, I was going to three-hour rehearsals and the drive downtown wasn't a short one. So pretty much it was like a part-time job working 25 hours that week on top of creating my class materials, my syllabi for my three classes that I teach, recording podcasts, etc. And then, you know, I also teach Pop Pilates and the new release had just come out. And so I was learning choreography for that. So it's a lot. <laughs> and also they want us to do something different with our learning management system. We use Canvas on campus. So it's a lot. And I'm getting my 10,000 steps in, sometimes more because of it. Uh, drinking all the water, like all the water, meditating, getting enough sleep, even with all of that, because my mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional health stays in check that way. So I've definitely said plenty. So I will just leave you with this partial quote from a fellow Renaissance person, Leonardo da Vinci. 
He said, I love those who can smile in trouble, who can gather strength from distress, and grow brave by reflection. Man, I love those words. And I'm hoping that we can just continue this journey together. If there's anything as multi-passionate that you might find you'd like to chat about or have me talk about, let me know and connect with me on Facebook, Carol Dixon Carr. You just search me and they're on there. I have some free resources shown in the show notes that you can take a look at as well. So, okay. Enjoy the journey, guys. Take care. Thank you for listening to Managing Your Multi-Passionate Life with Carol Dixon Carr. Be sure to check out her free resources in the show notes. And if any of her words resonate with you, feel free to subscribe and leave a favorable review. Until next time.